Welcome to this episode of the podcast, Guess What You're Gonna Hate. I'm Janine. And I'm Moss. And this is a podcast about exposing someone to the very worst, and sometimes best, but mostly worst, pop culture of the 2000s. Hey, this is great, we survived Y2K. I can't wait for the pop culture headed my way. It's the very worst. I'm just saying Paris Hilton deserves better. Also the best. Shrek won an Oscar. Pop culture of the 2000s. It's Guess What You're Gonna Hate with Janine and Kate. <laughs> Hi, everybody. So I know it's been a little while, but we're coming back in a major way by celebrating June, which is Pride Month. And to do so, I thought it'd be great to just like invite on some queer creators to talk about LGBTQ media from the 2000s and just formative experiences in media. So Moss was the first guest to jump on the topic, and I'm so excited to have them here. Moss, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your podcast? Absolutely, yeah. So as Janine said, I'm Moss. And along with uh, my longtime girlfriend, Angela, I am the co-host of the podcast Queerly Yours, uh, which is uh, basically just two queer trans polyamorous folks talking about relationship health. And so we talk about it from our particular perspective, of course, but we try to really explore and joke about and muse on things that are applicable, whether or not you're talking about like romance or physical int intimacy specifically. One of my favorite episodes we've done, we talked about uh, things like going home for the holidays and the sort of social and emotional de developments and energies that can happen with family around that. Uh, we also just document and talk about things that are going on in our lives. You know, I also write and design tabletop Ooh. games, and Angela also writes game material and facilitates a bunch of game streams, so one time we just played one of my RPGs. <laughs> uh, our next episode, I'm going to try to get it out uh, on June 1st, we'll see if I make that. We have an episode recorded where we just wanted to goof around for a bit, so I found a bunch of newlywed quizzes oh, cute. that are like designed to do at bachelorette parties and things, because <laughs> we're not married or engaged, but we've been together for almost a decade, and so we just did some... <laughs> Real cheesy, weird, newlywed questions uh. together. So that's what's coming up. But then sometimes we do serious logistics. Like, I went through top surgery in December of last year. And so we did an episode about that process and what it's like to be two trans mm -hmm. people supporting each other in different parts of transition. That's awesome. I'm so happy that you responded to my call for guests because... It feels like there's no better podcast to really begin this with. And, you know, I our podcast is a little bit lighthearted. We touch on a lot of different things. We mostly do media, but I really feel like we have a great audience that would love to hear some more, you know, just basically touching on a little bit more of like, and I love the relationship as aspect too, and like that human connection. So I'm encouraging everybody to go and check them out, and we'll have the links in the description as well as plugging all the socials at the end, like we always do. So, absolutely, yeah. Thanks so much for that. I also, I was excited to see that you do media analysis and sort of goofing around with that as your theme because the other thing that I've accidentally fallen into in the pandemic, I got a TikTok. Oh yeah, and. Uh, I have gone slightly more viral than I meant to a few times <laughs> by doing what has I've started to call ciscore anthropology. <laughs> I analyze really like kind of messed up, super gender norm, intense home decor. Wow. Oh. You know, like like if you go past live, laugh, love, and you keep on going. I'm like wondering if I've come across you. I, I'm on TikTok more than I would like to admit. Mm. Well, you might have when we do socials. Let's save it for socials at the end. We'll see if you're surprised or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. And I'll be like, oh my God. 
But yeah, so uh, that's exciting. Yeah, you know, I always try to like balance it with having fun, but I also have always tried to kind of like touch on so much of the 2000s. We were really like coming into some of these like things that we just take as like, well, duh, now, like, oh, you shouldn't do this. Or like, of course, that's not good representation. But in the 2000s, it was messy. Mm -hmm. Like if you were, if there were any sort of representation, it was often just like, you know, either an afternote or, you know, really touching on different stereotypes as it has been for a long time and still is today. But it's just really interesting to see the media that you identify with when you're younger and you're trying to like mm-hmm. understand your identity and see what else is out there. And uh, for what our topic, our purposes today, it's the wonderful world of web comics. Yeah, that's why I'm on here. You told me I could talk about web comics. <laughs> I, um, my parents are sweet, lovely, extremely chill hippies. I didn't have a TV Aww. in the house until I was about 13, and then we still didn't have cable. I missed a lot of other people's pop cultural and media touchstones. Oh, yeah. But I was an only child, and I did have pretty open access to the computer. And so I read a lot of web comics <laughs> because my parents were comic collectors in the 80s. Ooh. And they collected the weird indie underground stuff and things. And also some of the less super underground, but still slightly more to the side. I like read all of the Sandman, mostly in wow. original single issues or little trade paperbacks. But then also, like, um, they had old, like, underground magazines and things that had Alison Bechtel comic strips in Ooh. them. They had uh, cool vintage erotic comics, nice. including ones that were, like, there was, like, one called Real Girl that was, like, compilations of a bunch of stuff by different artists. And they also had comic anthologies written during the AIDS epidemic to fundraise wow. for people's medical care. Like, look up Strip AIDS USA yeah. if you ever want to dig into that. Because I think it's amazing, especially to look at compared to the art that's happening nowadays. Yeah. Because you're seeing people document their lived emotional and social and political experiences during a pandemic. Wow. So I was already super primed to get into webcomics. I was looking for print comics in the library. And I I think I first got into web comics because some little comic paperback print that I read from the public library had a URL on it. <laughs> I think it was Girl Genius, what I think was the first one that I like found online that was like, oh my god, there's all kinds of stuff on the wow. internet. I didn't know there were so many comics here. <laughs> and then it was off to the races, you know. It is almost overwhelming how many web yeah. comics there are online because also it's just all of these webcomics, especially, like, if they... I really feel like the 2000s was when they really just started exploding. Mm-hmm. I think almost now, you don't really see as many webcomics that are all, like, in that classic just the webcomic page. They're either on people's Tumblrs or Instagrams or Patreons. And... Or people have Webtoon now. There's, like, right. different hosting services. Yeah, back then it was blogs. Like, there were some things yeah. up on DeviantArt. People were building their own scrappy little sites. Yeah. Um, and then there were, like, little sort of group things. Did you ever do the, the webcomic rating site? I know there was, like, a... Sometimes like ratemywebcomic.com or something like that. And sometimes you'd see... No, what was that? It was a thing, like, it sort of aggregated webcomics. It rated them based on, uh, like, you could essentially vote for comics a certain number of times per day, you know? Yeah. And so uh, comic creators would post links to try to encourage you to do that, because if they went up in the rankings, like, that was a way that comics got aggregated so you could find other ones. I think they might have even sorted them by, like, sorted them by category sometimes. My memory's a little fuzzy now, because this was, like... Me in late middle school <laughs> online, you know, looking through this. But yeah, the the landscape and how you found comics 
was a bit different than today, though I feel like there was still a factor that remains today, which is that a lot of comic artists know each other. Right. And so often you will find comics because they draw guest art for each other. Yes, that or was the primary way. they talk about or mention way. each other, or they feature each other's characters, yeah. you know, in little specials. Definitely. That was the primary way for me. I remember... Probably the webcomic that I checked the absolute most was questionable content. Oh, yeah. That was like my homepage. I would check it every single day because it updated every single day, mm -hmm. which is overwhelming now because if you think about it, that started in like the early 2000s, well, probably mid-2000s, but it went with it every day. So if you're trying to read the backlog, it's going to take you a while. It's pretty wild, but I mean, I'm, I'm no stranger <laughs> to backlogs. I did also read Homestuck, so. Oh, okay. Well, then you know how it is. I... <laughs> Longer than War and Peace. <laughs> yeah. So like... Uh, questionable content every April Fools they were a part of like a larger webcomic network where they would like change their homepage to be another webcomic yeah and yeah so that was the way I started getting into it and then of course Kate who unfortunately couldn't be here because I kind of sprung it on her last <laughs> minute but she was a huge is a huge webcomic fan and we would share webcomic URLs back mm -hmm. and forth and she would message me like have you seen the latest and we would talk all about that stuff so I really just love this world of webcomics I feel like there's so much to touch on here mm -hmm, it's true and uh you were saying specifically about some of like the LGBTQ media and web comics that you had. What were some that were that stick out to yeah, you? Yeah, questionable content is a neat one because, of course, I didn't start reading that thinking, "Oh, what cool gay representation," because that wasn't really a big factor in the early days. <laughs> yeah, it was just sort of a slice of life with some robots in it. But it developed in really cool ways over time. Yeah, the ones that were more direct early on that I remember. Uh, were a lot of ones that were drawn by pretty young people on some kind of scrappy self-made sites. And I'm happy to say that I think all of the folks that I could think of when I was thinking of initial formative ones, all of those artists still make webcomics or other art online. Oh, wow. Like My Life in Blue, I believe that was, I want to say that was one of like Lawrence Gulo's really early projects. I'd have to go double, double check names to make sure I'm not mixing up <laughs> my artist names because people had different pseudonyms right. <laughs> at different times. But then um, Chaos Comics was big. Um, right. Because that was also kind of, I, it feels weird to say classic, but in a certain way feels really classic in that it was, you know, teen LGBTQ slice of life with a big interlaced friend group and their dramas and intimacies and trauma experiences. And so in terms of, like, a sense of direct media representation... That one was big. And I know the artist has talked about since then, you're like, oh, there's things I'd do differently if I was going back to do it again. You know, like this was super early days of web comics. But I think within its context, like it's still a really rich and cool piece of media. And I've gone back and reread it and did go back and reread it and went, wow, there's more trauma stuff in this than I remembered, honestly. <laughs> was it like good on a second read? Yeah, it held up. Wow. Because it's about like messy interpersonal stuff among teenagers and so even if there are things about the comic that are messy art or dialogue wise that doesn't feel amiss oh that's cool it's got like a kind of tender rawness that works <laughs> that's pretty rare that you look back at something and it aged well i'm just gonna mm -hmm. say <laughs> it's fair it's true um you know i i know one thing i think one thing the artists talked about is the fact that i think like there used to be a piece of merch that you could get that was a t-shirt that was based on a line that one of the characters says sarcastically which is i'm just I'm just being trans or, like, I'm just pretending to be trans for, like, all the social benefits it brings. Yeah. And that was, of course, obviously a very sarcastic line in the comic because that's not how it works. Right. But also, like, that's a weird, bullshitty talking point that people have tried to make about trans people. Yeah. In many actual situations. So I think the artist has mentioned, it's like, wow, like, 
I thought this would be so obviously sarcastic <laughs> and it sucks that we live in a world yeah. <laughs> that contains people. It's weird, you know, just like how much the politics change around that. Because didn't mm-hmm. that comic start in, in like 2000? I was looking at, I think Chaos Comics starts are super, super early. Yeah, it was early webcomic days. Yeah. Yeah, Chaos Comics was super early. Um, Boy Meets Boy was another like super, super early one. Right. That was like... Again, clearly, like, kind of a young person. Art had a little bit of, like, a light anime vibe. Lots of very spiky hair. You see that a lot in the webcomics. And things. But, like, that artist has gone on to do a bunch more stuff and now does a comic that's got way more direct, like, cultural uh, and, like, personal and creative and research layers to it with, like, way richer art details, too. Right. Called The Hazards of Love. That's about, like, a non-binary Latinx teenager. Oh, wow. Whose, um, like, name and identity gets stolen by a cat from another dimension, and they get dropped <laughs> into, like, this dangerous, like, Central and South American horror mystery world. Wow. Where humans are mainly there to be eaten. And, but it's full of, like, weird, weird cool stuff with, like... <laughs> body horror and identity and survival and wow it's got a really great blending of like there's chunks of it are happening in this dangerous fantasy dimension and chunks of it are happening in the real world right and it hops back and forth between them and the interplay of that is lovely so it's again a thing where like when i was in my early teens i was like oh my god it's a comic where (laughs) boys kiss each other and they're openly gay and that's giving me feelings and now it's like hell yeah i love it when you grow up with an artist and like you grow and they grow and i'm like yeah absolutely That sounds like I, I'm gonna have to check that out because honestly, I kind of just forget that web comics are still around now because that feels like such a teenager thing that I did was reading web comics. But there's so many though, and they range so in quality and tone. And I'm sure there's still yeah. weird, messy ones out there too. But also, the yeah. other thing is, a bunch of these artists also grew up and kept doing cool things. Right. So the people who are putting yeah. this very like vulnerable, kind of revolutionary for the time, artistically stuff online right have gotten to grow and do more of their own things too yeah because it sounds like that specific webcomic you were talking about sounds like what you plus may should have been like why you plus me oh, i don't yeah. know oh my god yeah, yeah. rosalarians yeah yeah because i was thinking about comics and i was like i wonder if any of the webcomics that i grew up with because uh like I, i'm bisexual so i was mm-hmm. wondering like were there any webcomics where i kind of like felt that this was something that I related to, and I was thinking about that webcomic, and I couldn't remember the name. I was like, the webcomic where the girl falls in love with someone in their dream. I can't believe that I didn't yeah. think of that one when I was making my list, too. I know um, Rosalaria has started re-releasing it on Webtoon, oh. too, so a new generation of people can see it, wow. and is sort of like thinking about and commenting on that, too, because, again, another case where the artist is now looking back and going, right. there's so many things I would have done differently if I was going to do this now, but at the time, yeah. there wasn't a lot like this out there. Yeah, yeah, because like that whole webcomic was like, it kind of started out with where this girl was um, in a secret lesbian relationship with her classmate at a very... At her Catholic high uh, yeah, school, at her Catholic and it was like... School kind of her stressful slice of life and she was like yeah she like was kind of a maladaptive daydreamer Mm -hmm. who also just tried to sleep as much as possible because her life was so stressful and she had this vivid dream life and then it just kept getting wilder and wilder like structurally and narratively yeah and it turned out she was in a coma and all that stuff and i I was reading because i remember when that Mm -hmm. switch happened because i remember reading this i was like oh this is sweet and sad and then wait what the fuck yeah (laughs) she's actually in a coma and all this other stuff and there's like fantasy and all this weird stuff but maybe some of it's real and like oh my god yeah 
<laughs> it's very out there. But they are a very popular webcomic artist now. Yeah. Because they do more than webcomics. They do illustration. They've got a print they comic do... series, I believe. Yeah. And they also, I know, um, there was their v- early project that isn't up online anymore because they were young and didn't sign a good contract deal and lost the right. rights to it. But I was kidnapped by lesbian pirates from outer space. <gasps> right. Which they, like, there was the time window. I think I still have it all on my hard drive because there was this time window where they gave everyone a warning that they were going to take it offline because they weren't making money off of it. It was this crappy, like company that was making money mm-hmm. off of it and it's so like hey you know this isn't totally allowed but here's this dropbox link because um, <laughs> i'm not making any money anyway but you've all been an amazing community yeah web comics were really like the wild west in terms of like publishing rights and all that stuff and really just like who controls the art too because like yeah people fall in love with web comics and they want to keep them and save them like this is, could be a whole episode in and of its own. But did you ever read Pictures for Sad Children? Yes, yes, I did. Right. Because for Pictures for Sad Children, the artist basically had something of like a a mental breakdown and just yeah. deleted everything. Mm-hmm. And there were people out there sharing like Dropbox links of here's everything that I had, here's everything that you had, because they were trying to rebuild this Yeah, archive. people had this emotional relationship to yeah. art, but also like a person still made that and that yeah. person has feelings and relationships to what they made too and the person didn't want it yeah there's so much i also um another related thing another comic that didn't start out being like super lgbtq focused but has a lot more of those elements now is one of the super old long-running furry web comics online dan and mab's furry adventures which started as the artists literally just drawing fun stuff based on their friend group that all used the like social website for kadia together (laughs) and so amber who draws that has said yeah, DMFA is like a guide to what you shouldn't do when you make a webcomic, <laughs> rights and logistics-wise. It's amazing that I've kept it running and that it's worked. I was, I based characters on other people's character design yeah. because they were my friends, but like that becomes a mess down the road. Right. It's all worked out on the whole for me, but I would not recommend it to <laughs> others. And also it creates the weird, tender experiences of, I have some characters now that have outlived the people I based them on. Oh, you know, yeah. you get a lot of different experiences yeah because a lot of people start this stuff for fun you know like for a school project or to share with their friends yeah or things like that and you don't know what's going to take off or not yeah dmfa is a case like that where the artist definitely didn't have a massive world building element going at the start yeah but that developed over time initially it was literally just oh they it's the little people and they look like our avatars from (laughs) Fricadia. and like elguna shive is another one i love that um definitely started out with um Lots of gender themes, but the artist wasn't really trying to put them in there hyper-intentionally. Right. The artist just didn't know that much about gender identity yet either, and so now it's a comic that has, I think, a very trans fan base from my experience, and the Dan the Artist goes by any pronouns and refers to himself as gender casual. <laughs> That's a great term. Yeah, because there was like, oh, maybe the fact that I do so many plot lines about magic gender transformation, that, like, <laughs> might mean something. I also seem to draw a lot, do lots of character arcs and elements where characters cuddle and are really emotionally intimate and tender with each other but aren't really interested in sex. I wonder... Yeah. Oh, wait, hmm... Huh, apparently asexuality is a thing that exists. Oh, wow. <laughs> that There's is... a lot going on here. It's really interesting to see people, like, discover themselves and just more about, I think, like, seeing the growth, too. Because, like, for yeah. example, when we started talking about questionable content, like, mm-hmm. questionable content was basically, like, boy meets girl, like, she's got a lot of trauma and thinks she's working out, and he's, like, got robots and all that stuff. But then it just develops that he 
basically sees the whiteness in his cast. He's like, I got to do something about this. Yep. The white straightness, like, starts introducing a more varied cast. And, um, I mean, even I have stopped reading questionable content just because it's just so much. But last time I checked, I remembered they had uh, the romance storyline with his girlfriend who is transgender. And yeah, uh, they have the asexual uh, neighborhood neighbor across the hall who's also like a scientist, I think, right? Or is she really the rich one? I don't remember. It's been so long. <laughs> I think she's like the rich scientist. I, she's blonde. <laughs> yeah. The, rich sci- the blonde rich scientist is the one who's also like yes, asexual. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch more. It's kept developing. There's um, there's more ace characters than wow. that now. There's also more uh, like varied romances than that now too. Um, also, whenever anyone sends him whiny, angry fan mail about how they hate the diverse <laughs> ensemble cast or there's too many trans people, he's like, I'm gonna add more. <laughs> Every time you do that, I'm gonna add I more. I was just looking up like about Gunnar Craig Court because I was like, uh-huh. Gunnar Craig Court always gave me those vibes where people, but I didn't remember enough, like where there are like non-straight, like was it part of the narrative? And when I looked up that, it was like a webcomic saying like, or no, a forum for webcomics saying like, don't you think there's too many non-straight people in this webcomic? Like, okay, great. Now I love <laughs> Gunner Craig more than I did before. Cool, that's one I haven't been up to date with in a while, but that's nice to know. Yeah. And then I was thinking about, you know, I was thinking about what other, like, um, LGBTQ media did I have in the webcomic forum? And I was thinking about Dar, which was really influential to me. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people have complicated, mixed feelings about Erica Moen, but... Oh, yeah, I'm among that. She also, she went to the same college consortium as me, oh. not at the same time, wow. but... <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, like, I remember reading Dar and just being, like, absolutely obsessed with it and just thinking about, like, I don't know, just thinking it was so connected, because I'd never seen that kind of life. Exactly, that's the thing. And I think that's the thing that's important to remember, is, like, you can... I think you can appreciate something for what it's done and right. still offer critique of it, too. Especially because, like, yeah, I I was on DeviantArt a lot around that time, too, <laughs> drawing a lot of gender-feelings-related art. Right. And there was, like, a quote from a song that I first read because it got quoted in Dar, like, right. talking about gender, and I then drew, like, feelings the art based on that. Yeah. So, you know, like, I I love and respect everything I learned from that. I also still <laughs> wish that she was, like, more responsible in right. her, uh, like, info sourcing when yes. she's making educational sexual health comics. Right. Because that's, like, an important structural responsibility thing. Yes. So, like, that's my main, that's my main gripe with her, just in that yeah. like, I've worked in sexual health education, and I feel like if you're gonna do that stuff online that's what i've heard as well and i definitely see that and i also think a lot about the different art that she made and like the the complication too, like the the sexual identity that she explored like struggling with bisexuality and identifying as a lesbian for a very long time it was a very and in some ways it's totally not yeah that's the thing like but in some ways it made me feel like oh okay so this isn't really how it works or like i actually am straight like things like that not her fault which is rough because again (laughs) like that that's a thing where it's like that's her processing herself and i am yeah it's rough though because and i'm gonna think i think it again speaks to a lot of what the value is of web comics in that Right. There is, and also the danger of webcomics just yes. logistically in that there's a very low barrier to entry. Right. And I, that's super good in a lot of ways because that means you get a lot of stuff out there that would not be published. Absolutely. Um, or eventually becomes published, but not because you were going to be able to get published at the start because you had to push <laughs> yeah. to create and discover a market for yourself. And now we've got setups, you know, like Kickstarter and all these other right. ways and places. I've seen, I... um. I make tabletop games, too, mm-hmm. and I sell a lot of things via the website itch.io, oh, right. which is mainly built for selling computer games and things, but you can put almost any kind of file up there yeah. and sell it or put it for pay what you want or put it up for free. People use it to 
sell their um, short novels yeah. and their comics and things now, too, and their zines. That's so cool. So there are people, especially because, at least currently, knock on wood, you can put not safe for work stuff there, yeah. which is kind of the continual flow of the internet in that, uh, like, sex workers and people who make, like, erotic-themed content create a bunch of money for a lot of different sale and web platforms, and then if those platforms get big enough and get enough investors, they freak out. They get pushed they freak out. out yeah. And kick out, uh, like, everyone that they see is related to that. Yeah, which... Which both is awful for the people actually doing it, and also catches a bunch of stuff that's not even that. Exactly. But even if it wasn't Especially catching they anyone take else... LGBT exactly, that's the thing, because, like, we have these ongoing associations with, like... Um, degeneracy, right. frankly, like that's the kind of talking point that it is, and it gets really yeah messed up and frustrating. But it's one of those things where, like, with sites like that and with resources like that, it's interesting to see yeah like what people can put out there and how they can put it out there and share it, and how much the formats for sharing that like change but stay the same in certain characters over time. There's still people who really love these things, who are aggregating them, who are sharing them with friends. The fact that creators connect and talk to each other is still a huge connective factor for how all of this works. Yeah, and I think that one of the things is, too, is, like, a lot of the early webcomics were self-hosted. Yeah! And now that people have to kind of, like, well, they know the audience is going to come if they host on these other sites, like you were saying, are taking down a lot of the comment content if it's actually, like, yeah. you know, a little bit more out there, a little bit more challenging of the norm. So it's interesting because I feel like, Webcomics, in a way, of course, I want to say also, there are a lot of terrible webcomics out there. Like, there's a lot of terrible well, webcomics. there's awful ones. But... There's very bad ones. And there's ones that, like, yeah. could have been neat, but they never go anywhere because when there's yeah. a low barrier to start, sometimes you start a thing and you don't really have the capacity to follow through for any number of reasons. But in that same, like, just way, like you said, the low barrier for entry, you really see these stories that you just would not see in any other regard, especially in the 2000s. And I think that's why these certain kind of art and comics just had this audience because sometimes that was the first time I ever really saw people like that in that regard, like coming up, you know, in the South and just not really seeing that much media in that regard. And it's cool that webcomics were able to do that. And in that way, too, like being intensely personal, like in the terms of Rosal Aaron's art in You Plus Me, I remember one of their defenses of like some of the storyline was like, this is my personal journal. Like this was yeah. me exploring <laughs> myself. And it's like complicated. It was like, well, you put it online. But then it's also it's like, yes, it is your personal art. Same thing with Erica Moen. That's her personal story. And also like what people thought it would mean to have that stuff online right. was fundamentally structurally different. Yes, entirely. In the early 2000s. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think anyone ever thought they would be basis for identity or, like, introduce people. Because in some ways, it wasn't really about, like, the representation, about, like, giving people a chance to see themselves. It was like, this is what I want to write, and I'm going to write it. Like, and now, more and more, like, representation, it still comes from that point as well. But there's also a lot of more, like, a critical view of, like, what are you putting out there? What is the representation? And is it responsible? Like, which is, you know... I think overall is good, but also can, again, I'm not so much in the webcomics world now, so I don't really know if it's really in that way as it is I've seen in, like, other types of formatting of art online. But um, 
I kind of do love that overall the Wild West feel is still there. It's still very much. There is. There, there's still like some edges to yeah. that. And I feel like it's sort of, Wild West is an interesting term because I feel like that's true in a lot of the pros and the cons again. Yes, definitely. In that it means there's there's some weird racist stuff out there yes. too. A hundred percent. And how barriers to entry work like still relates to like finance and safety. Yes. And other things. But it's still like... It feels like, again, and for me, I'm someone who also got raised on weird indie mm-hmm. print comics, and I also make zines. So cool. Like, <laughs> I, have a lot, I have a lot of affection for those intentionally low barrier to entry projects. Okay, we're also mm-hmm. on a podcast. Guess what? Um, yeah. Well, it was a podcast cost like a tin can to put your... <laughs> like sound into and then spotify there's, and there's still <laughs> degrees you know like it's not that there's nothing but we live in a world where you kind of have to have a laptop right to get by and to have a working life in a bunch of formats right. and so like if you have to have a computer or even a phone yeah um, a lot of these things become more possible than they were that's so and, cool yeah You're so right <laughs> so yeah i just i think about that stuff a lot no, I, I think, you know, when I thought about asking you, we should talk about this. It's like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. It's like it just this world of this like art and also just like the the introduction of new themes and stories and ideas. Because even in You Plus Me, Rosalind said, or Rosalind said that they didn't want to do like a cliche story. They thought it was yeah. cliche. They thought that's, that's why they did that random twist because they realized I don't have to just write a story about lesbians, like about sad, tragic lesbians. You're not pitching this to, you know, it, we're not we're not back in the days of like the pulp novels yeah. where you could write lesbians as long as they died tragically at the yeah. end or got married to show that you shouldn't actually want this. Yeah. You know, which was a real structural thing that happened in print media. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's cool that in now, like with the long scrolling webcomics, which I was worried webcomics were going to go away just because of the format, because people, mm-hmm. most people access the internet on their phone now so like yeah but they just adapted yeah. but now it means you've got structurally different Definitely. approaches to web comics than existed in the early yeah. 2000s oh man i could talk about this with you all day moss this has been so great i'm so glad that we well feel free to bring me on for a follow-up <laughs> or go poke kate do a whole other second <laughs> section where you uh jam about this with yeah. kate because i'm sure that there's more i think that probably what we could just do in the future is just like deep dive into these specific like comics and talk more about like their plots, their authors, all those yeah. sorts of things. That would be fantastic. Also, if you want to um, ever sort of try to topic combine or maybe uh, hop over to our show, Ooh. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but we could probably do something about early 2000s rom-coms or relationship advice. Oh, perfect. I was actually thinking that um, the way you described chaos comics reminds me a lot of probably one of the only pieces of gay media that I got because it was on the TV, Noah's mm-hmm. Ark. Did you ever watch Noah's Ark? Oh, no, I didn't, but I've heard of it. Because in oh Noah's Ark, everybody, Noah's Ark, everybody is gay. <laughs> everybody mm-hmm. is gay. Like, every single man on that show was in love with another man. Because, like, even when they had a married straight man, he was still secretly gay. It was just amazing. Oh, wow. it's, and that's what I was reading about Chaos Comics. is like, oh, everybody's gay and everybody loves each other. Or, like, yep. you know, there's still tragedy, too. But, but it's still, like, a big, messy, tender friend group yeah. where they all care about each other and they figure yeah. it out over time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, you know what? That would be great. Why don't you tell us where we can find your podcast and then, you know, we'll hop over there sometime. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way to find us in all the places we live on the internet is to go to queerlyyourspodcast.com. And that links out to all of the spots where you can listen to us. You can uh, see cute little reviews that my friends wrote about the site. Um, You can find our link to our Twitter. And we also have an email if you want to 
send uh, questions or theme ideas to us, uh, queerlyyours at protonmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find me directly and individually, I am on Twitter at Adonarama. That's A-D-A-N-A-R-A-M-A. And most other internet places, I am the phrase beating the binary. Nice. Uh, no spaces, no capitals. So if you want to find my TikTok, I'm... I am beating the binary on TikTok. <laughs> I'm about to look it up. Um, I'm going to make sure. <laughs> yeah, see if you've been linked anything of mine before. So yeah, those are the main internet spots. I have a YouTube channel under the same name too. I haven't put a lot on it yet other than TikTok compilations, but I'm hoping to do some longer media analysis there in future too. I also am on Patreon. Um, I definitely have seen your Syscore. I'm looking at it. I have seen this. It's in my likes. <laughs> oh my gosh. I thought I thought maybe it, that keeps <laughs> happening to me. The world is small. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have all those links in the description. And as for us, well, y'all know where to find us. It's pretty much everywhere is Hate Podcast. We got hatepodcast.com, Twitter and Instagram at Hate Podcast. And then we have Facebook. Guess what you're going to hate? And we have a page and a group. And thank you so much to all of our patrons and patrons. Wow. <laughs> Patrons, all of our Patreons, <laughs> our friends, uh, all of our patrons over at Patreon. If you'd like to support us, you can find us at Patreon slash Hate Podcast. And big shout out, Moss. You might not know this, but we have a supporter named Icy Wiener that <laughs> has to be shout out at every episode, Beautiful. as well as <laughs> thank you, Icy thank Wiener. Thank you, Icy Wiener, as well as Kate's mom. Thank you, Kate. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you, Kate, and thank you, Kate's mom. Sorry, Kate wasn't here, but thanks for listening. And you know what? Normally we do this when it's movies, but I thought it could be fun to come up with a gay little crime because we like to come up with crimes. Fun hearted Oh, crime. I'm very in favor of coming up with a gay little crime. So what do you think is a great crime related to the topic we've had today? Mm, I think a great gay little crime related to our topic at hand would be to break into a public pool at night with your best friend that you have awkward, uh, unexpressed <laughs> feelings for and see if swimming together in the middle of the night will bring those feelings to a head. Ooh, that's beautiful. See, that's I can definitely see the art. Did that happen in Chaos Comics? It didn't. It just seems like the kind of thing that would, you know? <laughs> and personally, I'm going to say my the little gay crime that you can do in terms of webcomics is just uh, pirate them. Uh, that's a little too real, but... If, um... if the artist wants you to because they have an awful structural deal yeah. with a publisher and they want it saved for posterity, um, then absolutely pirate them. I mean, as a media archivist, I will just tell y'all that sometimes things don't survive unless people take it into their own hands, so... It's true, you know? Just don't make a profit off something that's not yours. No, don't. That's but if you rule. want to print it out and put it in a folder and then uh, <laughs> drop some drop some dollars into that artist's merch as you can so that you are yes. supporting their process. <laughs> also, yeah, one of my friends is an archivist of fan music related to Homestuck. Ooh. So, like, I feel you. That archival work so is really important. So they get it. They get it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, everybody, thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.